When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello, listeners. Welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 321 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing how exactly to parent like an eco-minimalist. Eco-minimalist parenting is super hard, right? For any of us with children, we know it to be true. However, there are very important life lessons to teach our children, and those are what we are breaking down today. We're talking about three life lessons. We're talking about the importance of teaching our children how to give, the importance of teaching our children how to declutter, because guess what? That's not a skill that's traditionally taught. And finally, we're talking about how to teach our children the important life skill of not giving in to instant gratification. Holy moly, big things we're discussing today. Today, I'm speaking with Elizabeth Ireland. She is a mother of three. She is a listener to the show, and she has a wealth of real-world information to impart. Elizabeth, I'm so excited to talk to you today. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing really well. I'm super excited to be here. I told you I've been listening to your show for years. So this is like a small fangirl moment for me, but I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. I said before we hit record that it sounds like you're doing some amazing things in your home as a mom, but also as a teacher to your three children. So why don't we start there? Tell us about your family. Paint us a picture. Who are you? What do you do? Tell me about your kids. Tell me all the things. So my name is Elizabeth Ireland. We live in north of Detroit in Michigan, and I have three young children. Elena is eight years old, Aiden is six years old, and Nolan is four years old. And we live in like your typical suburban house. But I have long, like even, I know a lot of people say they come into minimalism when they become parents because they get overwhelmed by all this stuff. I actually was a minimalist long before I ever had kids. So we're really conscious in this household of keeping things simple so that we can focus on what we feel is truly important. Yes. That's one of the reasons why I really wanted to talk to you today. In my life, in in my capacity as like a professional, quote unquote, as a podcast host, whenever I'm interviewed, I always get the really hard questions about how on earth does eco-minimalism work with children? Doesn't 
the kids throw a wrench into the lifestyle? And my response is absolutely, but the kids make the lifestyle even more important. So it's not a let's throw our hands up because the kids make it harder. It's a let's double down on our efforts because the children are watching. Agree wholeheartedly. My perspective as a parent is that I have a set of values that I want to live by and teach my children. And then eventually they are more than welcome to discern their own set of values in their life. But I hope they take something from what I've taught them. And one of those things that's really important to me is being sustainable, being conscious of our environment. So it's a twofold thing that I want to do it more so because I have children. A, I want to pass that value to them. And B, because I have children, I care even more about the earth and like what kind of world and environment they get left, my grandchildren get left, etc. Yeah, geez, it made it that much more important to me. It made it that much harder, <laughs> certainly. But it's uh, reminded me of how much I value it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel as though parents in this sphere, they're looking for the tips and the tricks and the concrete life hacks. But I would argue at least from where I'm sitting, they don't really exist. It's not like, oh, you just do X, Y, and Z and you're, you've are you got it made. It's, oh, you try this, it doesn't work. You tweak that, it doesn't work. You commit for the long haul. You commit for the 18-ish years of this gift, this job that we're doing as parents. Because It seems to me as though, in general, the Western way of life is focused on stuff, and it's not so focused on the waste that the stuff creates. And so as adults, we've gone through a process of unlearning what our culture taught us. And unlearning, I would argue, is really darn hard. So it would be prudent then as parents for us to prevent our children from having to unlearn later. And how do you do that? You instill those countercultural eco-minimalist values in them now. How do you teach your children the why? Like, how do you get them on board? Okay, so you said long game. And I think that's the key to the answer for me. It's not a simple, I do these one, two, three things. It's an ongoing conversation over years with them. It started when they were really little and I could read the cute board books and involve them in the small tasks then that like toddlers are capable of doing, like spinning the compost tumbler and packing their snacks in a reusable baggie. And then I would just say things when they were at that young age, I would say things along the lines of like, where's your, to pick the reusable baggie example, like, where's your baggie go when we're done? It goes in the sink. We're going to wash it and use it again next time. So I started it in this little simple, this is an everyday part of our life type of way. But as my kids have gotten older, the conversations are able to get more in depth. And that's where I've started to talk to them about the why. Talk to them about why we reuse that baggie as opposed to using one that would create waste and go in the landfill. 
and what happens to it in the landfill and then what happens to our ozone as a result of things that are sitting in the hat. So it's it's ongoing because no child has the attention span to sit and listen <laughs> to this big environmental lecture. So it's really just these short blurbs. The way I approach it is just like short little blurbs repeatedly in their lives. And then something eventually will pique their attention and they'll ask me a question back. Wait a second, mommy. Is that why we don't have Lunchables? I'm like, yep, exactly. Mommy doesn't want to buy the disposable ones. And then, then to me, I'm like clapping inside. Yay, I had a win. They Something is sinking in as a result of the ongoing nature of the conversation. You are speaking to two things there. And you're speaking to them both very well, I might add. You're speaking, number one, to the importance of being consistent. What would we be teaching our children if sometimes we act one way and subscribe to one set of values and then sometimes we throw up our hands and abandon those values? So it's about being consistent. And the other thing you're speaking to there is the importance of capitalizing, I would say, on teachable moments. I used to be a teacher and teaching kids about the importance of wasting less, that's not like learning multiplication. It's not one day they've just, a light bulb went off and they got it. It's not like that. Teaching a lifestyle that's countercultural is about capitalizing on these teachable moments and teaching, reteaching over and over and over again. It can sound exhausting, but that's how it works. I think about when I was teaching English language arts, just teaching kids to write a thesis statement with topic sentences that support the thesis. Like they didn't, that wasn't a lot one and done thing that was learned and then over with. And then (laughs) they left my class, went to the next grade. They're still solidifying those skills. And so I would argue it's the same with what we're talking about today, teaching our kids the importance of a counter-cultural lifestyle. I have to go here, Elizabeth, because the holidays are coming up and The number one question I always get from anyone who ever asks me is, what do you do around the holidays? How do you prevent unwanted gifts? And I am going to ask that. But before I ask that, I want to talk about the importance of giving. I was thinking this weekend as I was sitting down and thinking about what I was going to be giving my children for Christmas. And I realized that Yes, for many children, for most children, the holidays are about receiving, getting gifts, right? But it's also important to teach our children how to give the importance of giving. So there's the question. How do you teach your children the important skill, not just around the holidays, but always the important skill of giving? Around the holidays, we all do a lot around giving, but I, by trade, am a social worker. So I also incorporate it as much of all the time throughout the year as I can. And I stumbled upon this subscription box, which is unlike any other subscription box that I've come across because most of them, you end up with extra, can we say crap in your house? (laughs) 
But I found this box called Altruist, A-L-L-T-R-U-I-S-T, and they're service learning projects. So they have a variety of different ones, but they have a lot that speak to eco-minimalism. So there's one about the Earth's waters. There's one about the Earth's lands, public lands, and how we share space. And then there are other ones about like food insecurity, water insecurity. So I started this box a couple months ago, and I wanted to see how much I could push the envelope with my kids in terms of our conversations of what is, what can they handle talking to me about? How can I introduce them in an age appropriate way to the idea that not everyone can get water straight out of the tap. And that's why we conserve water because we share it as a whole planet type of bring it down to their level, but have that conversation. To your original question, that's one way that I incorporate giving into our everyday lives is some kids get craft boxes in the mail, we get service projects <laughs> in the mail. And I, it suits our family values very well. So I think it's right on brand for us. But around the holidays, also, I will say that our elf, because we do have an elf, focuses on giving back and on kindness. So it's actually, it's not my idea. It came from the Imagination Tree account and she calls it the kindness elves. And so every day they talk about a different kind thing that the kids can do for others around them. And those are smaller acts of kindness, like a smile at a neighbor or a compliment to a friend in your class. And that's accessible to kids. And that's why I like doing that. I love that. And the box, the altruist box that comes to your house, do the kids enjoy it? Do they get excited about it? They do. I mean, nail is really exciting (laughs) because we're eco-minimalists. We do not get the constant Amazon boxes popping up on the door, but we do get these boxes. And so then they're like, oh, we're getting a delivery. Like that clicks with them as a thing that they've heard kids talk about. And this is the way that it happens in our house. And then there are projects in them. So the food insecurity one, for example, you decorated a grocery bag and then it gets sent to this food bank where people can shop for the foods that they need. So there's decorating the bag. There's things that are hands-on and then they learn about them. So that makes them fun for kids. Yeah. Before we take a break, Elizabeth, we're on the holidays. So I have to ask you the question that does not have an easy answer. (laughs) I've never heard a good and easy answer to this, but I'm going to ask you it anyway. What on earth do you do with the relatives and the influx of stuff during birthdays and holidays. Any ideas for those of us struggling? (laughs) Yeah, it's a struggle. It is my greatest challenge, I think, in this whole sphere. The thing that I've had success with is having individual conversations with people. And I have found through those conversations, I've found the relatives that are on board with giving experiences. And I've found the ones that are on board with giving like consumables. And when I think about the holidays, I just think with joy about those gifts. And I know the other ones are coming. And I know that we will have to deal with them. And then that ties back to that ongoing conversation that I have with my kids. And it's an ongoing process. Like my son, literally, I was actually very proud of him. He just said, hey, mom, it's almost, it's Christmas. 
are we going to go through our toys? So they're used, we've been doing it for so many years that they're used to the process of decluttering before the holidays or before their birthday. So I know things are coming in that would not be what I would necessarily purchase or that are not things that we by any means need in our house, but it's just become part of our routine to go through and declutter. And hopefully that makes it a little bit less overwhelming. Yeah. When it comes to the relatives and the gifting, my answer to this question is always one that gets some eye rolls, but I stand by it. And that's that we cannot change other people's behavior when it comes to gifting, when it comes to anything in life. So we need to stop wasting all our energy on trying to get the people in our lives to follow our values when they're giving to our children. That's a fool's errand. We can't control them. What we can control is what we do with the items, how we manage the stuff once it comes into our home. So giving a gift is a transaction, essentially. Somebody gives a gift and then the recipient says, thank you. Then the transaction is over. It is now yours or in your children's to manage, to deal with. If it's not something that fits within your life, fits within your lifestyle, you are totally empowered and within your rights to do something with it, to return it, to give it away, to pass it to somebody who actually needs it. Those like people feel guilty about doing that. Oh, but grandma got me this. I say it's now yours. And if it doesn't fit in with your life, with your home, if it's not needed and if it's not necessary, pass it along. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think you are the, you introduced me to this phrase, Stephanie, but you are the gatekeeper of your home. And so if it's going to cause the gift giver wishes on you, and if it's going to cause anxiety, that's not what they're wishing. It's, if it's going to cause stress by cluttering your house, anything like that, then you got to think to yourself, well, I didn't want me to be stressed. So let me do the thing that will bring me peace. And if that's letting it go or passing it on or giving it to the Toys for Tots box and keeping it in its wrapping and giving it to something like that, then so be it. So yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that sentiment. Just to go back one more time before our break, I keep teasing this break, but it's coming, I promise. (laughs) Just to go back to the importance of teaching our kids the importance of giving, I just wanted to say that in years past, my kids, my husband would ask, what do you want for the holidays? And I'd say nothing. No, I don't want anything. And truly, I don't want or need anything. But this year, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to ask for two very specific homemade gifts, one from each of my children. From my older child, I'm going to ask for coupons. So she's going to make the coupons to clean her room because her room's a disaster. And we're going to get to that. I have questions about that and her hoarding tendencies. But that's what I'm going to ask for. So she's going to give me these coupons. And when I give her a coupon back, she's going to clean her room without fuss. So she's giving me a gift. And then my younger daughter too, she's just learning to write. It's She's five, so it's not great. But I'm going to ask her to write me a story. So they're going to put some effort in, I hope, to give me a gift. And I'm hoping that that will help flex their giving muscle. So I just wanted to put that out there for any parents who always put a lot of effort on the giving to the kids, but not on the receiving. Both are important, I think, during the holiday. So Elizabeth, we are going to take that break now. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to talk about teaching the kids another 
invaluable life skill, which is, of course, decluttering. We're going to get there after a quick word from our sponsors. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we are back today. We are discussing how on earth we can instill eco-minimalist values in our children. Today, I'm speaking with podcast listener, mom of three, social worker, Elizabeth Ireland, and she is giving us her best tips from in the trenches. How does she do this hard work, hard but important and valuable work, I should say, every single day? Now, before the break, Elizabeth, we talked about teaching our children the important skill of giving. Now I want to talk about the important skill of decluttering. It's not taught. It's not taught in schools, but it is a skill, right? Because we do not want our children to grow up and be stuck with a house full of stuff because they didn't know how to declutter. So my kids are total wannabe hoarders, my older one especially. It's bad, hence the coupons for cleaning her room. How do you teach your children that valuable skill of decluttering? First of all, let me say that my oldest is also a wannabe hoarder. All the little, they always happen to be little, right? All the pieces to all the things she wants to hang on to. And to a certain extent, I have had to learn that I can't impose myself on my children. So while it may be important to me to have a very clear space with not maybe very small amount of things on the walls, 
to my daughter, that's not important. In fact, the opposite is important. Having her things visible to her is important. So what I did to create like a mutually agreeable situation is give her a physical boundary. And that boundary is her room. So she's fortunate that she doesn't have to share her room. But even I think if that were the case, I would still create some sort of boundary within that room where she can keep her things. And then I have a little basket by the stairs. I used to put it on the stairs and then I got in trouble because I tripped on it. So now I have a basket next to the stairs where I put things that are hers that need to go back in her space. And she knows because she's old enough that when she goes up those stairs, she better carry her things with her. That's the boundary. I don't want them around lying all around the house. She's welcome to keep them, but she needs to keep them in her space. And then when it comes to actually teaching decluttering, because eventually her space becomes unruly, like you said, your daughter's is take it in really small pieces because I don't want to overwhelm her. I think, and I've learned that through experience. Like in the past, I was like, okay, today's the day we're going through your room. And it was like, she spiraled (laughs) because I was asking her to let go of what felt like everything to her. And so if I said, okay, today's the day where we're going through this drawer in your nightstand, then it's easier for her to say, yes, this one bouncy ball I don't want anymore. And let it go. And even though to me, who's a seasoned declutterer and like very ruthless and feels used to just like, I I don't hold attachment to things. So that one thing to me feels, ugh, seriously, that's all you could get rid of. <laughs> but I'm trying to temper it and I'm trying to go at her pace. Because I think if we force it on our kids, if we're, even if like some people will suggest, oh, put a number on it, say you got to get rid of 10 things today. In my experience, that hasn't worked because it's too much pressure on her. So I've backed it off even more. I talk a lot about my oldest daughter, but my other two sons hold things less closely to their hearts. And so for them, it's like a pretty quick process. But for her, it's, I've learned to do it to each one's personality. No, I hear you. It's really important to put your child in the driver's seat, right? And I think that's what you're doing by going slow. You know your daughter. You know that if she gets overwhelmed, she's likely going to shut down or push back. It's important when it comes to decluttering these potentially very sentimental items to our children, even if it is a ripped bouncy ball or a stick from the yard or whatever it is, just because we don't have the sentimental attachment to it as parents doesn't mean our children don't. So they do need to be in the driver's seat. And I've learned that over time. It used to be that I would go into the crevices of my children's rooms when they weren't home and tidy up after them and get rid of the pens that didn't work or the stuff was that just didn't need to be there and was total junk. But then I realized one day that when I'm doing that, when I'm 
doing the work for them. I'm robbing them of the opportunity to flex their own decluttering skill, to grow that skill. So for any parents listening, if you're doing that, if you're doing what I used to do, I would say, yes, that's easier for the parent to just go in and do it, but it's not teaching your children anything. Like bring the kids in on the process. They might surprise you. Yeah, I think there's a an occasional time and place where you need to just go and do it real quick while they're at school. <laughs> but for the most part, I've started to stray away from that and really keep them involved and do it as opposed to like me doing one big clean sweep. I do a lot more smaller decluttering sessions with them. And I think that helps. One other thing that I can say that has been a useful tool is the idea of passing it down to someone that they know. So that has resonated with my kids when it's either pass it down to your young pass it down to your younger sibling or cousin or a neighbor or whoever we can find then they're like, "Oh, so and so is going to have this now." Okay, and it just makes sense in their young brains that someone's still going to love on the thing. So that has helped. Yes. And One other thing too here, when it comes to getting our kids to declutter, to tidy, to clean up, ask them how their space feels once the job is done. They might say it feels no different. They might say it feels naked and bare. They might say that, but they might also say, oh, it feels nice to go to sleep in a organized room, or (laughs) they might say it feels calmer. And even if they don't say any of those things, at least you're providing them the opportunity to think about the consequences, positive or negative, of their their chore, their tidying, their cleaning, their decluttering. So Elizabeth, I have one more life skill that I want to talk to you about. And it's an important one that I think many times can be overlooked in our overconsumptive society, but it is the importance of teaching our children how do I put this? It's the skill of being able to be told no. It's the skill of not giving into instant gratification. It's the skill of wanting something but not getting it. That is a skill I think that is so important. Just because we want something doesn't mean we have to swipe and get it right this instant. And it's on us as parents to teach that skill. So in your home, like, how do you handle situations when your children want a new hot commodity? What yeah. goes through that process in your house? My go-to response is, we can put that on your wish list. And so my kids have come to understand that they don't get things unless it's a birthday holiday, I guess I'll say, or needed for school. Those are my, again, with the boundaries. And so if they, a neighbor had a birthday and a neighbor has a hoverboard now and we want a hoverboard and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm never ever going to buy one of those. But I don't say it that way to my kids. I say, let's put it on your wish list and let's think about it. And so that usually can table the conversation for like time number one. And then when it comes up time number two, I'm like, I know it might be something that you want, but here's the reasons why it doesn't really fit with 
our values as a family. And I really do use that word values with my kids a lot. And so for the example of the hoverboard, I'll say like, think about you're not using your body in the same way that you use it on your bike. And it's really important that you move your body every day, right? And so I always am going back to those uh, learning moments that you called them or educational opportunities and trying to talk to them about it. And then eventually, sometimes I'm just honest with them. And I'm like, no, we're just not going to have that. You can go use it at your friend's house if you want. (laughs) Um, And I, as a parent, just have to rest assured at the end of the day that, like you said, I'm teaching my kids that not everything is instant gratification. They can't have everything they want. And that's something I want them to understand. Yes. So many parents have trouble saying no to their children. But if you say, it is hard, but if you say no and then you say okay, what you're really teaching your child to do is to push because they know if they push hard enough, they're going to get what they want. So hold the line, parents. If you decide that this thing is not coming into your home, hold the line. It's going to be hard. They're little tempters, right? They're they're going to pitch a fit, but... Hold the line. Tell all the relatives that you are holding the line, that you have veto power as a parent, because I've had to exercise that veto power when people are like, oh, I want to give them this whatever, like electronic thing as a gift. And I say, no, please, absolutely, please do not give them that thing. I don't want it in our house. And I've had people listen to me say that. I've had people not listen to me say that, but I'm trying. Yeah, my kids, I've said this before on the show, their friends have an Alexa, and they want one so bad. The answer is no. Like rally. So you're holding the line. You're in a battle, parents. You are like in the trenches in a battle. You have to hold the line and you also have to rally your troops. So tell everybody who gifts for your children Alexas are not here. Alexas are not happening here, right? So hold the line, rally your troops, and be consistent. You've got to be consistent. Yeah, you do. And it pays off in the end. I've seen it pay off. I know it sounds, perhaps this all sounds a little harsh, but I will say that it clicks. Before we say goodbye, Elizabeth, I just want to ask you, you know, before I came on to talk to you today, I was thinking about how us eco-minimalist parents were up against a lot because the lifestyle, again, it isn't particularly glamorous. Let's mend our clothes (laughs) instead of just buying fancy new ones. Let's be grateful for what we have instead of consistently seeking more. And so we're up against a lot of glamorous cultural messaging How do you ensure that your children are not left wanting? I know it's a a hard one. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's okay. Because I think I have an answer actually. And I look to all the experiences that we do give our children. My husband and I are conscious when we budget about, okay, because we're not buying things, things we're going to invest in maybe this family vacation this coming this year or piano swim lessons things like that and i look at the joy that those things bring my children i mean to this day they talk about the vacation that we took and we went hiking like it was we were it was not talk about glamorous it was not glamorous but 
it was amazing to them and it was amazing to us. And I don't feel like my kids want, I know they don't want for the things that truly matter in life. Maybe they have moments of discomfort where mommy tells them, no, they can't have X toy. But in the big picture, their lives are very full. And they're full with the right thing. So I love that. Elizabeth, this was such an amazing conversation. I talk a lot about how important it is to be around like-minded people when the going gets hard. And I feel like just talking to you has reinvigorated, remotivated me to go back into my home and double down on my parenting efforts. I hope that I hope it did the same for my listeners as well. I'm sure it did. Where can they find you online? Sure. So I'm on Instagram with an account called Minimal Littles. That's minimal dot littles. And I just share simple little decluttering tips and things along the lines of what we talked about today. I agree. It's really great to surround yourself with positive messaging and like-minded messaging. So that's a place where you can find some more of that. Again, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Please keep in touch. I enjoyed every minute of talking to you. Thank you. Likewise. It was good to talk to you, Stephanie. Listeners, that's a wrap. I have linked to Elizabeth's Instagram in this week's show notes, as well as a couple of resources that she sent over to me that we didn't mention in the show notes, some books, etc., that might help you as you seek to commit to 18 years of eco-minimalist parenting. We do have an eco-tip today, and it comes from Kara. Kara says that even with her serious lack of sewing skills, and that's Kara's words, not mine, even with her serious lack of sewing skills, she has learned that it's worth mending her clothes herself. It has been a good way for her to develop her sewing skills, and she usually ends up with something wearable, even if she's just wearing it around the yard, gardening perhaps. She also finds that sewing at the end of the day is a great mindfulness, quiet activity to help her unwind and unplug, which I love. I think about in the days before television, right? Families would gather in the living room, perhaps sew, perhaps play the piano, perhaps read, but they would unwind and unplug without the use of screens, right? So I love that. Kara also says that when it comes to clothes, for clothes that are past mending, she cuts off, cuts out the fabric just like my grandmother used to do. They never wasted fabric, right? If a pair of pants has a hole in them, you cut the pants up, you save the material or you repurpose them into rags. Perhaps you save the material for patching other clothes, etc. She saves all the buttons. So go you, Kara. You're killing it with your mending and repurposing of clothes. I should say here too, my youngest daughter, she has sensory issues. So she only has two pairs of pants that she likes to wear and she rotates them. But because she wears them so often, they get holes in the knees. I sew those holes up myself. Yes, it does look like a Frankenstein stitch. No, it doesn't look phenomenal. However, if she only has two pairs of pants and she doesn't like any other pants that are sold anywhere in the world, I'm going to be taking care of those pants and mending them so that she can wear them until she outgrows them. So don't be afraid, listeners, if you have some mending to do, a hole in your sock, a hole in your knee, some sort of something, 
Get out a needle and thread. Sew it together. You can do it. I believe in you. I will see you on Thursday, listeners. Reach out if you need me. The way to do that is in the show notes. Reach out if you need me. See you Thursday and take care.